Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for Super Chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer radio show brought to you by Calm Bach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Calm Mock Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, Our layer pellets and crumbles are all-natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, 
CackleHatchery.com for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. I'm about to say something that may shock you. There's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed, leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now. The only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now, they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's Super Chicken. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Of course, brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feeds. And, uh, hey, the broiler chickens are growing like weeds, as they always do, but Monday was five weeks. This coming up Monday is will be six weeks. Uh, we're documenting the raising of 11 Cornish cross meat birds that we received from Tackle Hatchery. And uh, we're hoping, and uh, when we started this, our goal was to, at somewhere between seven and eight weeks, have them dress out at six to six and a half pounds. Our six, six, six and a half pounds is our is our goal weight. So um, we're not going to go longer than eight weeks. We'll process at eight weeks regardless, but somewhere between seven and eight is what we're looking at. And we'll be able to use our new Yardbird Chicken Plucker, so, of course, when we get to that stage, we'll be letting everybody know how that works and and what we think about that awesome, awesome uh, tool that we have here on the homestead. So that's uh, it's, it's been a great – I've always raised meat birds before. This is the first time we've really documented for our followers and viewers, uh, weighing the birds, showing you how much food they're eating. Um, I suspect sometime over this weekend they will get to their third 50-pound bag of broiler feed. We, we we chose to I chose just to kind of use one one uh feed uh from beginning to end, from chick to harvest, the whole eight weeks, one bag, 
very simple. We just keep up with it. And uh, over this weekend, I think they'll be getting uh, finishing their second 50-pound bag and we'll be opening a third 50-pound bag for them. We're only looking at 11 birds right now, and uh, it's a 19% broiler. And um, that's what we're uh, we're doing. So you can follow all those and go back and look at all the videos we've done on our Facebook page regarding raising these uh, broiler birds. And then after we're going to let the coop rest for a couple of weeks, get it good and clean, sanitize it the whole nine yards, order some other birds. And then I'm not sure if we're going to do a slower growing broiler or a slower slower growing meat bird or a dual purpose like a barred rock or something like that. So uh, I, I have a tendency to want to do the or, or uh, hankering to do just a, another true meat bird, just a slower grower. And then the third, once that's grown out and processed, the third, the last one we'll do is just a regular old dual purpose like a barred rock or a black ostrilorp or something like that. And that way people can go back and look and see uh, what they want to do, how much time they want to spend getting some meat for their family out of their backyard and how much feed they're going to eat, how much, what expense, time. Time is always valuable and worth something. So we're we looking at, you know, seven or eight weeks. We're we looking at 16 or 20 weeks. Um, that's a long time to invest just for, you know, 11 chickens to put in the freezer. So we're going to do all that uh, for you uh, so you can make that good education decision on what you might want to do in your backyard so uh, we've got that going on so still working uh diligently on the third book which is um no official title yet waste free chicken keeping and uh we're we're right now uh, working on the um i guess the introduction which needs to be for right now about a thousand words and then um we're looking at doing it's called a blad and it, we basically have little bits of the book and a little bits of a couple of chosen chapters with some pictures and, and an introduction and basically what that does is that initially goes out to the sales staff um to use as uh I don't know, just to use to try to sell the book and, and see where they think it'll fit in and where who's going to carry it. So uh, we haven't even really gotten into the meat and potatoes of really writing the book yet. Now the next step, we got the official outline with some chapters name. We may add one or two. And now we're working on the, the blad, which will be uh, really for the sales team to try to start getting uh, getting it reserved for different places it'll go to market. So we're working on that if you're curious about where we stand with our third book. And let me think of what else was going on here around the homes. The lambs came back processing, so we got a freezer full of that now. And... Um, we are actually going to use the uh, heart for homeschool dissection uh, or STEM, I guess it's called, and research and hands-on, whatever. So the kids are looking forward to that. Um, and I didn't even think about that, to be honest, when, when I had the uh, kidneys and, and the liver and the heart uh, from the processor. And they're all, um, what do you call it, shrink-wrapped and whatnot. They did a really good job. Um, I was thinking, you know, dog food, because that's great for the uh, livestock party of dogs. But um, wife being a teacher, she was like, ooh, you know, they actually sell lamb hearts on Amazon for people to dissect in the learning world. And I said, well, I didn't know that. So uh, very cool. I hear I'm thinking farm and dog food, and she's thinking education and schooling. <laughs> That's how it goes here um, in the, uh, at the at the homestead. So anyway, let's get on. Um, we're running a little bit late, so let's go ahead and bring on our really, 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 really good friend um, and awesome uh, chickeneer and poultry scientist, Dr. Prey. And I uh, will bring. Hello, hello. 
Hello, so gracious to talk about. She went out and visited um, uh, a, a poultry science uh, uh, wasn't conference. really a convention, yeah, conference, and uh, all the poultry's many, many, and the poultry scientists were there. I had a question about a certain issue here, raising some meat birds, and I, could, I have a bunch on speed dial. I couldn't get a hold of any of them because uh, guess what? They were all out of this convention. So, um, but she decided <laughs> to share kind of like the poultry research translated and let us know kind of what's going on. Um, in the in the science uh, world out there with poultry and all these things, they're thinking, what if we do this? What if we do that? Hey, what about this? Hey, let's try this. Let's try that. And in fact, there's going to be an article. I just received it yesterday and forwarded on to uh, the editors at Chicker Magazine uh, from a young lady at NC State about using hemp cakes. Uh, in oh, feed that's one of re- the ones that I was going to talk about. Yes, I'll oh, skip that. Awesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> really? For, okay, cool. So, so there's going to be a whole article uh, about that in Chicken Whisperer magazine about using hemp cakes to replace soybean. I think it was soybean uh, as a protein yeah. and chicken feed and chicken feed. So yeah, that's this. She's got the whole write up, and uh, it'll be uh, it'll be in the uh, fall issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine. That is so funny. So yeah, she was out there as well, and um, along with the little team that's doing this research at, at NC State. So now I, I, I asked her yesterday. So like. Uh, um, See, I, I, literally, when it comes to hemp and marijuana and all that, I, I know nothing. I mean, nothing. So uh, it's going to be a learning experience for me. So I may have been wrong and totally off base science-wise asking her if the chickens, after eating this stuff, were like, did it make them want to eat more? Because you always hear that about, you know, the, whatever's in pot. Was it TSC, THC, THP, whatever the heck it is. You know, like, yeah, well, they, you're going to eat. You're going to get snacky. You're just going to lay around and do nothing. Well, hey, <laughs> there's the ideal boiler chicken. <laughs> you add some hemp yeah. to, to their feet. Add some hemp to their feet. They want to eat more and, and just lay there and veg out. So uh, it might be, a, you know, a good thing for, for broiler birds. I don't know. But just making light of it. But it's, it's fascinating science. But Anyway, you can look forward to that in the fall issue, folks. Um, that'll be there. But um, we're, we're anxious to hear from Dr. McRae here for the next 30 minutes or so about what interests her and what she might think interests us. Because let me just say this real quick. Um, a lot of people seem to turn up their nose and balk at, at science as when it comes to poultry. They're like, oh, well, you know, uh, backyarders, uh, the studies, you got to use funding. And, uh, yeah. and I get it, but, you know, but I, I stress to people, a lot of the stuff we use in our backyard, uh, the, the bag of feed you bought, okay, um, all the stuff with your backyard, a lot of it comes from, I mean, poultry science from the big boys, the commercial industry, and it trickles down, mm-hmm. and you still utilize it in your stinking backyard. So you can turn your nose up it, you can turn your nose up at it, but I'm telling you, when you buy that bag of feed, I mean, that's science, 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 science about that one bag of feed. It's amazing the science that goes into that. Um, and which I'm excited also, Dr. McRae, I don't know if you heard me mention this. I've mentioned it to you folks. I'm hoping in the next two or three weeks, they're very, very busy, I'm going to go and visit uh, the U.S. headquarters at uh, Adiseo. Um, and uh, I'm looking mm. forward to that. Because, yeah, that's so cool. I mean, I'll be, uh, and I hope to do a Facebook Live there around this table full of poultry scientists that, that you know, and, you know, all these amino acids and, uh, and vitamins and minerals that, that they they bring in from really all over the world to go right in that bag of feed that ends up in your backyard. 
uh, for you backyard chicken people. So we, I got a gazillion questions. We're going to be asking them. Maybe we could just even do a Facebook live. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that visit too, uh, to get down to the, the feed that people are feeding and our listeners are feeding, and to let them know you learn something all the time when you that was just like if you go out and buy an organic bag of chicken feed, more likely than not, very good chance that the vitamins and minerals and amino acids that are in that are not are not organic. Uh, there's a loophole there apparently, um, and they may not even they may not even be real. It may be synthetic, and then they may be coming from China. So I'm not saying that's good, bad, or the ugly, but we're going to talk all about that when we go to Adiseo and figure out you know what what the deal is, just to let people know. Because a lot of times I see people stick their nose up at this, and I'm like, it affects your backyard, what these big commercial folks are doing. Whether you believe it or not, it affects what you do in your backyard. Very good, very <sighs> good. When I was so at this meeting, well, when I was at this meeting, I, there were a couple of really strong themes this year. Um, I didn't go into any of the sessions that were on um, the woody breast problem in chicken meat. But that is a huge issue. Um, yep. Another problem. Mhm. And another problem um, is is uh, feed particle size and getting that you know digestibility analyzed. Um, I don't tend to walk into the the metabolism and nutrition sections. But, um, you know, I always seem to find myself in front of their posters. Occasionally, if it's really interesting, I'll be in there listening to their sessions. Um, But I'm actually going to start off here today with a topic from the metabolism and nutrition section. And it's black soldier fly larvae meal and oil can replace soybean meal and oil without adversely affecting chick growth performance during the starter phase. So that basically tells you everything you need to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everything you need to know is in the title. I mentioned this to Kambach when I was up there at their annual convention and sales meeting and said, hey, just to whisper in your ear, um, there's a lot of buzz out there about using insects as a replacement to protein, you know, soybean, cheap protein and out there. I mean, you just need it. So, but, and, and of course, the, we talked a little bit about it. Hopefully, you'll elaborate on it. And the big issue there is whenever we start using insects to, to, in our feed, um, how do we get that to where it's safe uh, and doesn't, and, and get rid of the salmonella aspect and, and other, you know, parasites and different things like that if we start using these insects? How, how is it? Uh, process to be a safe additive to to our feed. But anyway, uh, this is awesome. I'm, I'm ready. I got my piece of paper out. I want to listen to this. <laughs> so what they they did is they looked at whole um, black soldier fly larvae and then black soldier fly larvae meal, and they used it in roosters. Um, so they were looking at the digestibility, and essentially. Um, they did it over the course of, of two trials. And, and the first trial they found out, you know, they were looking at these individual birds and collected, you know, gave them a certain amount of either the meal or the whole, um, and then collected all of the excreta and did um, to, uh, metabolizable energy analysis on it. And they found out in the first trial that, um, 
the meal had a lower uh, total metabolizable energy over the whole um, black soldier fly larvae. Um, and oh, these are in broiler males, I'm sorry. Um, they looked at black soldier fly meal um, replacing the soybean meal with the black soldier fly larvae meal. And, you know, they looked at different levels. Um, they raised chicks. And essentially what they found was there were no differences observed in body weight gain, feed intake, feed conversion ratio, or even the uniformity of the flock. Regardless of um, how much of the black soldier fly larvae meal or um, oil that they put in. So it's interesting that you might be able to take up to 15% of the soybean meal out of the chicken's diet and replace it with black soldier fly um, meal or even oil at about 3% um, during the the starter part of grow out. And the presentation just before this one was looking at laying hens and, you know, what's the effect of giving a protein supplement for highline pullet, the W36 um, single comb white leghorns. Um, they wanted to see how the birds developed and layer performance on a animal protein supplement that was Propac 60 and a vegetable protein supplement, which was Vegain. I think it's called Vegain. It might be Vegain. I, I think it's Vegain. Um, and they were also feeding a distiller's dried grain product and, <clears throat> you know, looked at the birds individually, um, looked at how um, the birds performed, and essentially um, the average daily feed intake of the pullet with the, um, okay, what does that mean? Oh, the animal protein, APS, the animal protein supplement was, the same as the vegetable protein supplement or even the corn soybean meal regular diet throughout the entire growing period, except for week 11 to 12 when we got a 1.1 gram per day um, higher feed intake with the vegetable protein, or no, with the animal protein. So they had a blip and they noted it. Um, you know, feed conversion ratio was not different between the three groups at any time. Um, there was a, a uniformity of the flock and body weight um, improvement. Oh, well, no, there was an improvement in uniformity and um, body weight coefficient variation was reduced a little bit. So, you know... Feeding diets with animal protein can increase the body weight, but it can also reduce uniformity with pullets fed all vegetable-based diets. Um, that's one of the things the industry is a little worried about because the big push is feeding chickens vegetables when we all know they're omnivores. Did you have a question? Right, yeah, we talk about that. No, yeah, I was, I was gonna say, so, so everything you've told me right now, um, 
at the end of the day, no, no, no change, no difference, no benefit, no, no nothing. And so I can see as if I was a commercial well, grower, and I've got, or so far anyway. They did then, reduce I, I excreta can, moisture. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> okay, I, but I can deal with that with my what with bedding management and and yeah. you know, but but I'd look at it like heck, I, I've already gotten. I'm already using this. We don't like change as humans, but we, we're already using it. It's already cheap as as cheap as can be. And if I do this, I got to make this change. And then I got it. That, that, you know, that, that at the end of the day, that's what they're looking at. I'm, I'm assuming. And they're like, well, I'm not going to do that. That's just a lot of work for me. And then, you know, steady supply. And I didn't, at the bottom line, I didn't make the dime more, and they didn't need any more except that one little blip. And and so it. At the end of the day, well, as far as a commercial place. farmer is concerned, they just order the type of seed that they need based upon the age that they're currently growing in a, in a house. Mm-hmm. They don't really get to determine what the ingredients are. That's that's um, at well, a that, level that above the, the farmers. Yeah, yeah, that's their they, decision. And they would... do they have the equipment to hold, process, and handle that uh, when it's complete? Yeah, and keep it separate from everything else. Um, no. Interesting. So no, uh, no, no real advantage at this point. Or these no. were that study. What they were looking at. What they were looking at. Right, and that was. I remember a yeah. decade ago. A decade ago, there was a place. There's a guy who came out with this thing called the Biopod. Pretty cool. Looked like a little mini plastic cooler, and you were supposed to, uh, like a compost bin, add food scraps to it to attract these black soldier flies. And then, as they laid their eggs or whatever, the larva would crawl up a ramp and fall out of the little hole, and your chickens would eat them. And um, it was a really neat concept. Oh, I, I interviewed him live. Yeah, I interviewed him live out in Texas. Met the guy. He sent me a unit, and um, I couldn't attract anything. Uh, you know, we put stuff oh. in there, and we never got black soldier flies. We got regular old house flies and things like that. And then he said, "Hey, that happens sometimes, depending on the, the environment you have and where you live." And uh, but so you could you could order some black flies or larva or whatever. You pay for those, and whatnot. We we could never get it to work. I'm not saying it's not a good product uh, because you know we didn't do extensive research. It may very well people may have success out there with that. But you know, if if I'm gonna knock something that you know, whatever. So I can't say it, but it just didn't work for us well, when we used it other than having to, uh, well, you know, if you want to try to use it, you have to order this and buy this, whatever, and it just wasn't at that time anyway. So, but yeah, we so we, it's a decade, black soldier fly larva has been kind of a <laughs> little thing for backyard chickens and uh, this, that, and the other. And now you've got folks that, that bag them up and sell them in, in the tractor supplies and whatnot. And I think their claim is more yeah. I think their claim right now is calcium and maybe more protein than, say, a hollow mealworm that you're using. Um, but the majority of those mealworms are hollow, just the extocellus. So I think that, the, the, you know, that may, information may, may benefit. But as far as this is concerned, replacing the already cheap soybean uh, protein that we're using, no no real benefit. Okay. Awesome. This next one has to do with broilers. It's perching behaviors okay. of broilers affected by different perch designs. And this was actually done oh, cool. by a former colleague of mine at the University of Delaware in Wilmington. Um, so in commercial chicken houses, broiler houses, they have limited active behaviors. And sometimes you get leg problems. So some people say, give them perches. Chickens know how to perch. And when they perch, sometimes you can improve leg strength and mobility. Um, but 
broilers don't tend to perch well. <laughs> um, so they decided to see if they could improve upon the perch design and increase utilization of perches by, by broilers. Um, so they looked at the shape, height, and combination of perches on perching behaviors. Um, so they did three experiments. The first was to compare perches with round and square, two heights, four inches, and six inches. And um, they did four identical pens with four perches were used. Four birds were raised over a six-week grow period in each pen. And they looked and monitored and, you know, did recording of perching duration, step-on events. Um, and in the second experiment, they did a preference test. And they did six birds and two choice pens. One pen was either equipped with the most preferred perch from the first experiment and the other was without a perch. So perching, they, what did they measure? They measured perching, uh, movement, feeding activities. Um, and, you know, I, I think of this and I think of the poor student who's like, got to go take care of these chickens, but then he's got to stare at those tame chickens for hours and record behaviors, he or she or whoever it is. Um, <laughs> They're like, what did you study? A computer screen for hours. <laughs> um, they looked at feed consumption in each pen and correlated the bird's preference for, for perch with the um, feed consumption that was measured. In the third experiment, they did three perch designs that were tested um, under field conditions to determine, you know, what did they find in, in the lab? Did it really work out in the, in the field? Um, mm -hmm. So from experiment one, preferred the square shape, and they liked the lower uh, perches, so the four inches. Um, uh, and then they found that, um, yeah. Um, so they there was also that was the preference, and then the, the, um, the results showed that the, the reference of broilers for perch and, uh, showed the preference for broilers for perch enrichment. So they want the perches. Um, and they like them simple. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they, 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 they will use them out in the commercial facilities. So mm -hmm. I don't know. That's going to make it challenging to walk around in a broiler house, which I know you and I have both done. They're going to have to be ratcheted up along with all the other pieces of equipment that has to be mm -hmm. pulled up when, you know, you're putting down chicks mm -hmm. or, or cleaning out the house and that sort of thing. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's the next step. Get it? Perch? I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you this. I, I was so lucky. I'm so glad I got this information on, on video. I was, I was um, got out to the coop with our meat birds. And uh, I, I was examining them ahead of time, and I said, well, I, gotta, I just got to go live. I wasn't planning on doing it. I said, I got to do this. This is awesome. And I got video because, you know, you always hear the bad things about the fast-growing boilers. You just always do. And so I'm glad I'm doing this for everybody to show, but, and I'm glad I got this particular bit on video. But, man, I, I've got these boilers chasing crickets that they found. They'd scratch and, and have all the same behavior as a Rhode Island Red out there. If they're scratching, they'd find a cricket. One would pick it up, and you know what happens next. They're all chasing this one, all <laughs> running around. And what do you have? What do you have? So so I'm glad I got that on video because they were scratched. And then 
I got them. It was awesome. Once I got them eaten, and then they kind of growled back into the kind of the coop area, the second little room we got. And then they all just started sitting there and starting to dust, dust bathe. I mean, they were dust. They were throwing shavings up on the back, and you know, at their legs were hanging out, <laughs> all just enjoying themselves. And I had this on video. I was like, "This is awesome." So take a look, folks. These are broiler chicken. You know, and of course they're not at that full weight yet. We'll we'll get video of that too. Um, this was probably about ten days ago. So again, they're probably at the four week mark. And um, man, they were happy go lucky. Just you know, and so I'm glad I got that on video to show folks and say, look, there's the, some of this bad news that you see about, you know, here's eleven of them in in, in this nice space. This it's not like huge open. And um. And, and go ahead and put square perches the, out there, Andy. Go get some one well, by. Yeah, absolutely. And some, put them out there. Some, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking about actually doing next. And then and we can see if they like perching or that day that I was looking at them and they were all just down in the shavings, taking a little dust bath and you know scratching <laughs> all the stuff up on their back and under their wings. Man, it was great. I was getting it on video and I was like, hey guys, this is perfect. And um. And these are these are Cornish cross broilers, and they're photogenic birds. It was really really cool. I was excited. I got that live and, and and recorded that just to show people that you know, you know. I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen because I know it does. I'm saying I've had the big 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 when they get fat and they just want to lean up against your leg. <laughs> they, they, I've had that happen. I remember the first time we dealt with it, it was like these birds are so nice. They come up to you and they just lean up against you like they want to cuddle. I'm like, yeah, they're, you know, so, but anyway, um, I'm so glad I got that video. So what's next on the docket? This, this study comes from Canada, which, you know, we have corn soy diets and they often have wheat soy diets. Um, and I think I mentioned this to you. We had a really good set of students coming out of, Canada and winning many of the competitions this year. Not sure if this was a winner, but this is pea starch increases night feeding behavior in laying hens from the University of Saskatchewan. Pea starch increases night feeding behavior in laying hens. Pea starch, like in PEA, like field peas. Field yeah. peas. Okay, gotcha. Make sure yeah. I heard you correctly. Okay. Real quick question. Um, Did they, their diet with wheat versus corn, is that just because of the availability of that up there? Yes. Not that it may be better. Okay, just availability of the farming in that region. Okay, got it. Yes. <clears throat> um, so if they looked at replacing wheat starch with different levels of um, digestible mm-hmm. pea starch in hen diets, and they looked at, um, you know, they wanted to see if it increases feed intake and a certain um, peptide. But, you know, they they were kind of looking at these things. Um, there's two hormones that are kind of thought to be responsible for um, some increase in satiety. Um, so they thought, you know, maybe the presence of starch in the certain sections of the small intestine increases satiety and alters feeding behavior. So what they did is they fed different amounts and, you know, different times and, of course, recording, um, consumption and time. And um, what they found out was that the diet, it did not really affect um, the the night time 
between bouts of feeding. Uh, but let me make sure I'm reading this right. In in when they looked at the the 24 hour total time spent feeding, it really wasn't affected. But um, in feed intake with pea, uh, pea starch, uh, but um, the pea starch did have an increase in earlier night feeder visits. Um, so that kind of indicates that they were hmm, hungry. Or so essentially, you know, they. It's not always that will the chickens grow faster, but it's not. Sometimes they're looking at it on the behavioral side. How much are they eating? Are they actually satisfied satiety? So yeah, sometimes sometimes the chickens will eat um, at different times of the day, and that may or or may need to eat at different times of the day, and that may or may not be when your feed lines are being run. So that's something for people to consider in their um, feeding schedules and feeding regimens. So the next study, um, I might skip that one because there's so many of them in here that I circled. Um, (laughs) Ah, this one might be interesting. Hold on just a second while I get to it. Because I'm clicking very fast. I don't know if you can hear that. And they are doing construction outside of my window, Andy. I'm sorry if you hear that. I, I can't hear a um, thing. So. Okay, good. But they just seem to realize that classes start on and they are furiously repaving roads around here. <laughs> um, so remember when we had avian influenza in about 2015 in I do. Um, the northern part of the country, especially uh, poor old Minnesota? Mm-hmm. So, there were questions brought up at that time in that state about contestants, how they're using biosecurity, are they aware of biosecurity, are they aware of avian influenza? So, they did a um, a study trying to assess the educational needs and the current practices of poultry fair participants um, with regard to biosecurity and avian influenza. So they wanted to see what key biosecurity practices of those contestants before and after the fair um, that they used and how they rated their knowledge of avian influenza. Um, So they did face-to-face surveys at two Minnesota County fairs and then at the Minnesota State Fair, which is not a small fair. Um, A short survey with seven questions was used. Um, because, you know, they were trying to catch these people at check-in. Um, and, you know, check-in is a little mm-hmm, busy. Um, and they 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 did this to with uh, 4-H youth and the adults. And, you know, they did that right at the fairgrounds. Um, they only caught uh, 14 and 18 folks with um, responses at the two county fairs. But the state fair yielded um, 161 survey responses. So they they bundled them together and, and looked at that, and they they found the youth to be between 12 and 17 years of age. Um, and over half of the contestants were exhibiting 
chickens. That was about 57%. 20% were exhibiting waterfowl. Um, so when they asked folks to rate their knowledge about avian influenza, 63% indicated that they had moderate knowledge. 18% indicated they had little knowledge. Um, wow. So, you know, they looked at, you know, what are these folks who responded to the survey, what are they doing as far as biosecurity practices at home? Quarantining, um, controlling access of people and equipment, using cleaning and disinfection. So, yes, 53.9% said they quarantined. Cleaning, uh, uh, controlling access of people and equipment, that was 37.8%, but cleaning and disinfection was 66.1%. 23% of participants used all three practices. And a small, <laughs> a small percentage said that they were not practicing biosecurity. That was 11.4%. So um, after the fair... Almost 50% of the people indicated that they use quarantine for their poultry back home, 48%. Mm -hmm. And they did ask an open-ended question because, you know, that can really yield a lot of information that can point, you know, efforts for education. Um, and they said, you know, please tell us what kind of information that, that you need. And so they categorized the, the comments into areas of disease prevention, um, spread versus risk, um, clinical signs and detection, treatments, and communications with regard to the actual outbreaks going on. Um, so essentially, it just proves we still need to educate people to help mm -hmm. them improve their biosecurity practices and, you know, try to incorporate as many biosecurity practices as possible instead of relying on just one measure. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it just goes to prove that, you know, not everything that, that shows up at these conferences is, you know, the molecular aspects of salmonella control and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sometimes it's the stuff that hits you right at home. With regard to you made me think of something. Well, you made me think of something in this the study um, that was done. I guess I think you had mentioned at a fair, but it talked about up in Minnesota and the big uh, uh, high path outbreak a couple of years ago. It made me think about how I would love to know the level of of awareness about biosecurity from the top down. So you know, from from the the head honcho and then the below him and the middle management and then even down to we're talking about the, the grunts that are picking up the dead birds every morning, walking through the broiler houses, whatever the case may be. You know, I, I, I would like to know if there's a level of knowledge about biosecurity, the, the process of biosecurity, the rules, and, and even their, their um, what am I, the word I'm looking for, that company's uh, rules or regulations about biosecurity and see if, if the top folks have a better understanding versus the folks that maybe where it really matters, the ones that are dealing and handling the birds and walking and going from farm to farm and driving. And I would love to know if there was something out there that showed that, that maybe the top brass middle management you know, had a better understanding of what it meant, how to prevent, and, and, uh, and what their rules were there on the farm 
and if they're doing a good job relaying it to the folks where it might even matter more, the, the bird handlers and, and, the, and the farm workers that are probably going into all these different farms and places. I'd love to know that. <laughs> um, that would be interesting. I'm not sure you would get full participation, but, you know, you don't always right. get full participation in any survey that you do. Yeah. It would just be interesting to know that if, if – uh, the lower you go down on the food chain, if you will, in, in, a, in a company, or if, if if the understanding of biosecurity drops a, a, a little bit, the top brass, is, oh yes, we're all about biosecurity. We, we these are our rules and our guidelines, and we know what you know. Uh, but then when you get right down to it, that you know, if it, is it really conveyed down the chain to, to where it really matters at the end of the day? Anyway, hey, I'm coming up on three well, o'clock. We've got time for another, but you know, hey, you've got to you've got to go. Uh, we're going to talk about perching Auburn, again. So. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah, please do. So um, this is laying hens this time. So the effect of stocking okay. density on the perching behavior of three particular strains of pullets. Again, this is a Canadian okay. study done at the University of Guelph in Guelph, mm-hmm. Ontario. So how hens utilize space may be affected by how many birds are around them, their stocking density. Um, well, they wanted to investigate perch use in the um, Loman Brown, DeKalb White, and the LSL Light. And they I got did about twenty Bovins Brown right here, right now. Bovins Brown, right there in my backyard. <laughs> and what they wanted to do is, is they they furnished them in in cages with um, four different stocking densities. And perches, okay. and they thought mm-hmm. that here's a hypothesis that a greater proportion of the pullets would perch as you increase the density of stocking, stocking density, and that the white bird strains would perch more than the brown strain. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, what would, you think what would color have to do with it? Uh, you know that leghorns are a little more flighty. Yeah, and for sure. don't necessarily tolerate, you know, touching another bird as much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're like horns. Um, mm-hmm. So they did live observations every three hours, starting when the lights came on. Um, and they, you know, they had replication for, um, they did this for 15 weeks. And they found that the LSLs perched the most with an average of 25% of the birds using the, all of the three perches. And the Loman Browns perched the least. Um, the most rapid increase in perching occurred between two and four weeks of age when they're learning how to perch. And the mm-hmm. white strains continued to increase perch use gradually until 15 weeks. Um, well, um, whereas perch use decreased after seven weeks of age for the brown strain. Remember, after how many weeks? The decalb white is a lighter bird. The brown birds are heavier birds, so perching may not be comfortable. Um, stocking density did not affect the percentage of birds perching, but did affect the mean number of birds perching, with the most birds perching at the highest density compared to the lowest density. Um, so essentially the smaller white strains used a minimum of 12 and a half centimeters of perch space per bird 
whereas the larger brown strain used about 15.8 centimeters. Um, a greater number of birds perched at higher stocking densities, but this, this did not translate to a greater overall proportion of birds perching. So stocking density may not be a motivating factor when it comes to whether or not a bird chooses to perch. More work will need to be done. And maybe you know if we were talking know. about different strains, we'd... Go ahead. What I would like to know is if after these birds started laying if they perched as much um, or, or what the level of perching was. Because it sounds like most of this was up to laying uh, age. I think you said 15 weeks, maybe 17 weeks. Yeah. But um, I would I, maybe they'll throw in uh, that in the next study. Say, so, you know, after these yeah. birds started actively laying, they, they may not have perched more or they may have perched more. I'd like to know that. How about that? You know, I bet you that work's been done, but, <laughs> you know, we'll have to wait for that student to finish um, <clears throat> typing things up next year. It, just give it time. I'm sure we'll see it. Um, this next one caught my eye. Um, hey, real quick, if I can go to commercial break. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Can yeah, I go to commercial ahead. break real quick? Got a minute? Sure. Okay. Let me go to a commercial break real quick. Folks, we are talking with Dr. Bridget McRae. We're talking about really poultry research translated, translated from all those smart folks with letters after their name to us peons that keep backyard chickens. So, so, but I'm, I'm telling you, after a decade of doing this full time, it's amazing to see how much science from the commercial realm comes right to our little backyards in suburbia for those that uh, big homestead, but for uh, for the backyard. So you may not think it affects you, but it actually does. we got uh, maybe one more study when we come back, so stay with us. We'll be back right after this short break. If I can get over here to the switchboard and find out which commercial I'm going to run next. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. 
Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And I got ducks on my homestead here, but but um, I'm going to eat them. And when I do, I'm going to use this product. The Yard Bird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must have chicken processing product, visit yardbirdchickenpluckers.com today. That's yardbirdchickenpluckers.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's idealpoultry.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H-Feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. Hey, it's The Chicken Whisperer here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. This looks like a job for... Super Chicken. You get the super sauce, I'll don my super suit. <laughs> All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Combat Feeds. And our guest today, and if you missed any of the show, by the way, uh, it'll be archived into a podcast in moments uh, after we end the show, and you can listen 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the, for the rest of your life, um, whenever you like. If you can't sleep at 2 a.m. and want to know about coccidiosis, knock yourself out, come on over to the website, and you can learn about coccidiosis at 2 a.m. But we're talking with Dr. Richard McRae, and she's, <laughs> she's sharing some information. Um, uh, I have a cat that's got coccidiosis, a kitten. I'm not a cat fan. I've never had a cat in my entire life. I'm 49 years old. we got two barn cats for the homestead here. I got one that's 
uh, got coccidiosis and they've got medicine and the and the, the vet was like, so uh, coccy, oh, don't even talk to me about that. Just give me some medicine. I'll take care of it. So I asked him if it was uh, ampholamprolium, but he was like, he was like, no, it is not ampholamprolium, but it is a sulfa based and uh, blah, 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 blah. so. Yeah, uh, yeah, coccidiosis. But anyway, um, let's go with one more. I think you said you were going to start one more, and then we'll wrap it up after this. I've got one short one and one that's a little longer. So I'll start with the short one. Green okay. banana meal as a prebiotic for broilers up to 21 days of age. This was from a study done in Brazil. And, green you banana. Know, sometimes you've, uh, green banana meal. And, okay. you know, there are certain sugars that are in green banana meal that can act as a prebiotic. So they fed it to the chickens. And the chickens did really, really bad. So they don't recommend eating green banana meal <laughs> as a supplement in the diet of your chickens. And sometimes that's the result. <laughs> hey, I bet, but, you know, I bet they heard that on a blog. They had to have heard that on Chicken Blog. One of these chicken bloggers says, "Hey, if you feed green banana to old chickens, and guess what? They're going to live forever, and it's going to eliminate salmonella, and it's going to eliminate coccidia. Green banana." And then they heard it somewhere on a chicken blog, and they said, "Okay, we got to find this out." Brazil being the banana capital of the world, I guess. Yeah. But so, and not always. It's good. like okay. every no aspect green. that they studied on those birds was like. <laughs> Green banana meal, worse. Green banana meal, worse. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, okay. <laughs> I don't see any further studies coming up on that one unless we need to retard the growth of chickens. <laughs> these are broiler chickens, of course. Okay. This next study is using on-animal sensors to assess northern fowl mites effects on poultry behavior and welfare. There's a colleague that someone I know at um, UC Davis and UC Riverside who does really excellent work on northern fowl mites and laying hens. Um, you know, they're, they're, can, they can get severe, those infestations. And um, it's hard to measure those little suckers. Um, and it, they're a welfare concern. I mean, they bite, mm-hmm. they suck blood, they're small, they get everywhere. Ugh. So what they did is they looked at the physical physical condition and behavior of um, 4K tree flocks, um, and they they did this on 12 highline brown layers. Um, they did this before, during, and after a mite infestation, and um, they assessed physical condition while um, the on Hen sensors, which measured the magnitude of force, um, were used to identify and quantify pecking, feeding, grooming, dust bathing. So they essentially, during week one, they kind of did a baseline, no mites on the birds. They were mm-hmm. um, put the sensors on the birds, um, accelerometers were put on the birds, and they did the readings, and um, they repeated this when they started to put mites on the birds at week four, and then high mite levels were at week seven. Um, at week nine, all the birds were treated with um, RAVAP to remove the mites. And um, they recorded 
they did the assessment, uh, uh, behavior assessment and sensor readings again at week 12 when there was no mites. So, you know, before, during, and after. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so, essentially, they recorded the mite populations for each bird weekly <laughs> from week four to week 19. And I've seen this process, and these people diver- deserve an award for doing just that because I've seen the process and respect, respect, full on respect. These people deserve our respect. Whatever student got nailed with this job needs like many, many pats on the back. Um, Do they just take a cross section and say, okay, this, this, we're taking this oh, no. three square inches and counting, or we're going to shake the heck no. out of this bird, and whatever ones fall off will count. No. They're counting these things individually on this bird? Oh, Andy. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to tell you how this is done. You don't have to. But what, what they do is they take a, a pipette, a glass pipette, and stuff some cotton down in there and then attach it to a um, an air filter and they do basically okay. suck the mites up with mouth pipetting and you know it doesn't smell good you know they're, they're, it's a safe procedure but I just look at that and I go oh <laughs> okay so here's here's some of the they looked at um the amount of uh wounds on the comb and skin lesions at week seven when the, the mite populations were highest. Um there were differences. The sensor output was analyzed and um looked at, you know, pecking, grooming and dust bathing and they used week one as the baseline for all the behaviors. Um so the average counts for all the flocks was um, highest for pecking behaviors, then grooming, and then dust baiting behavior. Um, the biggest difference in weekly counts of behavior was between week one and week four when the mite levels were low. For um, They saw a significant increase in pecking, in grooming, mm-hmm. and in dust baiting. And um, they just found that the the behaviors amongst individuals was very high variation was very high um so you know they were kind of see you know is is there a correlation kind of between what behavior you see on the birds versus um what their actual mite populations are so i think they're going to probably follow through with this for more um these on bird sensors would be kind of a cool way for you to to um, look at data from a house and depending on um, a significant increase in a certain set of behaviors, you might then be able to go out there and confirm by picking up some birds or a certain section of the house is exhibiting a certain change in behaviors, which may mean that, you know, you've got um, – a infestation that's about to go through an entire house, but you might be able to curb it by treating a certain section or row of birds, something like that, um, with RAVAP. So that's kind of the thinking behind this. And rather than letting things get away from you in a in a commercial setting, this might be a neat way for you to kind of go, oh, 
all right, I have a problem. Okay, the numbers correlate to what's on the birds. Let's do something about it and nip it in the bud. Cool. Hey, watch this, watch this. Hey, Jen, Dr. McRae has a job for you next time we visit Auburn. Um, <laughs> we need to take our vacuum cleaner and no. um, we need to <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, uh, take our vacuum cleaner and we're going to go to a poultry <sighs> house. And and your job is to suck all the mites off all the birds. Dustbuster, <laughs> you need a dustbuster with a special attachment. A, yeah, a, a, a narrow dust attachment. Attachment, yeah. <laughs> Our, yeah, ours wouldn't work. Ours is ours is weak. Yeah, we need a new a new vacuum to begin with. It's like, um, but uh, what's that fancy <laughs> vacuum cleaner? What's it called? Dyson. Yeah, you need you need a uh, Dyson. The Dyson uh, handheld. Poor chicken see you coming at it with that Dyson thing, and it'd be going, I'm going to die. Human's going to kill. What is this thing? My feathers. What? Put me down. Oh, jeez. Let me go. Yeah. tolerate these mites all over them. And And humans trying to suck the mites off of them. That can't be. Oh. That can't be fun. We need to. We need to post a video of that. That needs to be a. Uh, um, yeah, we that that would go viral if we had that on, on <laughs> Facebook. Oh, jeez. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and just so we know, just to um review for everybody that green banana meal is bad. <laughs> So, not good. Uh, <laughs> not good. Don't give it to your chicken. Good. Ah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think I know what the problem is. Not a good compliment for chicken. They didn't mix the green banana meal with garlic, apple cider vinegar, and and they failed to use it and deliver it through a diffuser with the with their essential oils. I think that ended up being the problem. If they would have mixed it with garlic <laughs> and apple cider vinegar and then diffused it through their diffuser and made aromatherapy, that would have worked with the green bananas meal. That, I think that was the problem, the mistake they made. Maybe you should paint so, the uh, inside of the chicken coop <laughs> with green banana meal. That will keep the mites out, right? There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Something. Oh, but then we can't. We, then, we, then we miss all the fun of vacuuming them. Then we, we miss the fun of the, va- the vacuuming them once you get yeah. the mites. Uh, we missed yeah. that, that opportunity. So. Sorry. Hey, I didn't Dr. think that was right. through. <laughs> no, kidding. we got to have some fun around here. So um, thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for coming on. We appreciate you. These were awesome um, studies. And, again, uh, I'm sorry. Dude, and I, I didn't even get through Tuesdays. I didn't even get into Wednesday and Thursday or even the posters, which I love the posters. So maybe well, we we'll do revisit this show. later on in the year. That? We can do that on another show, absolutely. And uh, just to remind everybody, we've got a great new contributor um, who's going to be contributing uh, in her her first article. Her name's Hannah, and uh, she's a senior at NC State, poultry science, journalism major, and that article, which you were going to cover today. I'm glad you didn't. It'll be uh, (laughs) all new for our readers, is the uh, hemp cakes. Um, And um, when when I just said hemp cake, I just had this visualization of birthday candles, and um, I don't know. Maybe that's from a Cheech and Chong movie or something, but um, <laughs> hemp cakes in poultry feed 
um, in, instead of, uh, I guess, soybean meal. So um, it's it's going to be a great read. We're really excited for um, to see what else she brings to the table in the in the issue of um, or in the future issues of Chicken Whisper Magazine. Dr. McRae, thank you so much for joining us. We do appreciate it, and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you so much, as always, for coming on. You're awesome. Bye. Bye bye. Oh, there we go. Wait, where is it? Where's it? Push the right button, Andy. All right, that was a cool episode, and I took some notes here, and I have a big uh, sharpie circled green banana meal. Okay, um, Dyson handheld back and mites. Good. So um, that's what I learned from today's show. Hopefully you learned something, too. And, hey, tomorrow, we've got a special show tomorrow. I almost totally forgot about it. I better put it on my calendar. I'll forget. Tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, we're going to have Dr. Pateski from UC Davis out in California on this show. He's going to be talking about, we haven't done this in a while, um, internal parasites. So uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and, and all of that. I don't think we've done that in 2018 yet, and and we've been doing this show for 10 years, so there's going to be some overlap, of course, but we haven't done it in 2018, and, and, and it seems like all the time you see on the blogs and forums, ooh, fall's coming up, uh, which means I'm going to deworm my chickens. And then we get into the pumpkin seed issue and all that, blah, blah, blah. But also, I've got another show lined up. I don't have my email open right now, but I've got, I think, uh, is it the is it the next Thursday? What a great month. So so we've got Dr. Uh, McRae on today. Tomorrow we've got Dr. Pateski. Um, uh, next Thursday we may actually have Dr. Lisa Tell from um, UC Davis and another young lady, a doctor, and I can't remember her name, and she's with uh, Farid. Um, and we're going to be talking about Thailand 50 and Thailand 200. Somebody sent me an email. I wish I had it open right now. I apologize that I don't, about something about Thailand 50 being toxic to birds. And, it's, of course, it's used all over the place and birds all the time. You know, you, see, you look on the blogs and forums, uh, my chicken sneezed once today. Woo, you need to start them on Thailand 50. Go ahead, 1cc, boom, right into the breast. Thailand 50. Um, is it any wonder why they actually ban water-soluble antibiotics without a prescription? Because, oh, oh, they sneezed once? Woo, you better go get some Thailand Pippi in, 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 in one cc. So we're going to be talking about that. Uh, apparently there was rumors going around in one of these forums and blogs about it being toxic. I don't know, petroleum-based, something I can't remember because I don't have it in front of me. But, man, we've got the top, the top, the top, the top of the food chain when it comes to uh, veterinary medicine and science, and, and we're going to have tons of questions for it. not just that one issue about Thailand. We're going to talk about wazine and, and the egg withdrawal. Is there one? Is there not one? What's the end of the day, end of the day with that? Um, and all this other, you know, can we use this label use? Then we need a vet to do that. And if we have a vet do that, then and the vet gives me an egg withdrawal time. But it doesn't mean I can go on a blog and say, hey, my vet just said the egg withdrawal time for wazine is whatever days. Okay, that's still not an official egg withdrawal time. Uh, my understanding, and we'll, we're going to get to the bottom of this, is that that, that vet at that point is taking all the risk. Um, if you're selling your eggs, giving your eggs away, and there's an issue with whatever medication you use, off-label use, if it's overseen by a vet, apparently it's okay, and that vet can give you an egg withdrawal time, even though it's something they just, you know, in my professional opinion, I think you'll be all right by using uh, an egg withdrawal time of two weeks. There's nothing... So we're going to get into all that. It's going to be an awesome, awesome show, and I think I've got that lined up for the 23rd, a week from today. We'll let you know on Facebook if we're doing that. So, wow, how, how cool is that? 
Thanks for tuning in, guys. We really appreciate it. Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer right here. Chicken Whisperer Magazine, our books, our podcast, everything. Science-based, fact-based study information that you can count on to raise a healthy flock in your backyard, period. Ditch the blogs. Just, bah. Oh, man, I'm just a broken record today. Ditch the blogs. You get bad information there, folks. And, hey, we'll see you tomorrow right here at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Dr. Koteski at UC Davis talking about internal parasites and everything about them. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.